Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ow. All right. Welcome to the... Is this the, the fourth year... Whoa, no way. Uh, Verum Fabula Fellowship at Drinklings. Uh, New location, Rice House. Is it still called the Rice House? It's just Drinklings. (laughs) Formerly known as Rice House. Formerly known as the artist, formerly known as Prince. Um, (laughs) And uh, this is our fourth year coming in. Uh, Strong showing. We like that. Mm -hmm. And... uh, we're tackling something quite massive. We've never taken on anything quite this large. Um, but considering we are a, unofficially, let me say that, a Tolkien Lewis Society, the, and we've not done much Tolkien over the, over, over the years, we thought we would just go ahead and tackle the entire masterpiece uh, in one fall session. So I feel like we can do it. So tonight we're going to be going over... Uh, part of introduction and part of fellowship of the ring. So uh, my voice won't hold out. I'm going to turn the reins over tonight to um, someone who knows Tolkien probably a little better than I do, which is not a stretch of the imagination at all, but uh, uh, Mr. Professor David Whitaker. Say who is it, David or Randy? Which one? I know, I was like, which one is it? I was waiting I was wondering. It's be funny. <laughs> I, Randy, I didn't know you were going to be here. <laughs> so here, here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that Randy and David take over. Oh, um, uh, yeah. We can do it. It'll be fun. It'll be fun. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, I actually have. Have you read the introduction recently? Because I haven't. It's been, it's been a long time for me, actually. It's not in the audio, right? No, the prologue isn't there, um, which is probably why I haven't read it in a long time. I mean, we, you know, we can probably... Did anyone have anything that they were very interested in? In the, the prologue? Yeah. The Harfoots? Yeah, we, we can talk about the Harfoots? Because they, they play such a big role yes. in the new series? Yeah, yeah talk about the Harfoots. I know nothing about the Harfoots. <laughs> Someone explain. They're the fathers of the fathers of the Stuars. That's that's about all I know. Pre Hobbit hobbits. Yeah, proto hobbits. Yeah. <laughs> so there's nothing known about it, so you're free to make up stuff about it. Yep. More or less, actually. Yeah. They, there is very little known about the Harfoots. Um, I don't even think they're really mentioned in any of the other lore. Not similar, really, in our appendices, really. You know, kind of the prologue. Yeah, we could. Probably avoid most rings of power conversations yeah. this whole time. Yeah, probably. Yeah, <laughs> it's not applicable. No, not really. You think that'll be canon one day, or no? Is it already? No. Is it already outside of canon? I don't think anyone's going to consider it canon. Right. You know, uh, but because you know, it, it'd be like adding in something in between 
the golden age of Narnia and something else. I mean, no one would really consider that canon because it's just you're just making stuff up at a certain point, right? But uh, did anyone have any initial thoughts on the on like the opening stuff or the the opening chapter? If not, I did think of something very. There's a very very deep dive very very early, early on. Oh wow! Did anyone did anyone notice that? It's like page fifty. How many people have started reading yet? Yeah. How far are we? Actually, that's a good question. Um, at the library, uh, I can check it out via Hoopla, uh, the audio version. And I've listened to all three books the past week. And it's really cool. It's narrated by Ron Inglis. Okay. And he actually wow. sings the songs, which makes it much more enjoyable. It's kind of cool because some of the songs he's um, using like old um, shake note singing melodies almost, it sounds like. And such. So it's, That's cool. Wow. That's really, really neat. It's, it's, it makes it. I just put a, pull up Hoopla on our TV there to. Screen TV, we just read it on my desk at work. That's at, nice. In, my, in our living room at home. So you've listened <laughs> yeah. to all, nice. all the way through? The whole thing? You've listened to all three? All three. Wow, yeah, that is so impressive. Once yeah. I start these things, I'd be like, what did I miss? <laughs> yeah. You said she was listening to all of them last week. It's intense. Have you ever read them before? Yeah, yeah oh, okay. I was looking for my uh, copies that I got back in the 70s when I was in high school, and I couldn't find them, and I packed them away in a box. And I, I found The Hobbit wow. right that earlier this summer. My 40 year old copy of the book. That's wild. I mean, wow. That's impressive. You're, you're incredible. We should know this by now, though. I know. Yeah, the audio has been great since I've been... Yeah, I like the audio. It's a good, good recommendation. It does help move it along if you're, if you're not accustomed to the kind of language mm-hmm. he uses. It's mm-hmm. cute. Um, yeah, I like I know you don't care for the songs, you skip right through them, but... I don't and, like them And either. a lot of times when I'm reading it, I have skipped through that before, because they, it, especially the way they do it in italics and everything like that, most printed publications, it gets hard to read. But listening to it, I still don't listen to all the words, but I, I get... I, I'm When I'm listening to songs and hymns and stuff like that, I'll listen first to the melody, and then I'll listen to the words later, so... Yeah, this thing, you listen to a song, and you yeah. Right. Well, Wes had a good point about the songs earlier. You should you should say yeah, that. Yeah. So I I need to uh, take a slice of humble pie and uh, pop it in the microwave for about forty five seconds and get a glass of milk because um, as I was listening to it, something struck me as I was listening to the poetry and and the songs and all these things. As I went, if you're truly going to create ex nihilo, <coughs> this world out of nothing created a language for it in all these cultures songs poetry has to be a part of it there has to be this this connecting lore this mythology that transcends all these cultures and ties it together these songs and things that are passed down so it's necessary and as as you're reading the story as much of as as a distraction or an interruption they can be it's actually brilliant that he pulls them in there and the fact that the poems are actually good too it's not just crap poems it's like they're they're really well done and the songs are really well done and you can see and it they they feel like that they are old they have they have the weight of the of lore. myth to them inside i mean how meta is that to go in and and so I, I had a much more appreciation for them this time around than I've, I've ever had for them. So. I did too. 
As much as I hate Sam's little number as they're on the road to Rivendell, it's just the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. It's genius because it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard the troll in my song? life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The troll song is so stupid. But he, it's, he made it up on the spot, right? I, I think he might have made it up on the spot. It's, it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, but it's also perfect because it fits his character so Because Frodo well. says that, that's just Sam's thing. That's yeah. just, you know, so. Yeah. It's also kind of, I was thinking, the beginning of The Lord of the Rings is almost a little bit more like The Hobbit. Yeah, it is. It, you know, and so that's very almost yes. like Hobbit. Esque. Yes. The come up with the song. Totally is. You took the word. I was like, I'm totally gonna bring that point up later. Like it, it slowly ushers us into the to the new kind of serious nature of it. Like as we go along through the fellowship, and then how it becomes they, something else. How do they have most of the voices sound just like almost like the people Dude's in the movies? Dude's just good. I don't know. Does he do all the voices? He does all the voices. No yeah. way. Seriously. What? Oh, that's impressive. Yeah, I don't know how he does that. Those people like he are. sounds like <laughs> he kind of almost sounds like, like all the characters people. that are in it and, yeah. and the accents and everything. I'm like, who's one person? Your version that you put out there. A fan. No way. <laughs> Seriously, kidding. no. He's not a professional. Oh, he sounds like a professional. <laughs> he's obsessed. Speaker. Yeah, he's just really, <laughs> really word. obsessed. Yeah. <laughs> So does he, did he get rights to do it? No, no, they totally <laughs> took it down off YouTube for a long time because that's why you can't find it on YouTube. He said he yeah. probably has no, a it's, I don't yeah. see it on YouTube. <laughs> they only have like four things up. They don't have oh. the whole rest of it up. There. Yeah, interesting. They, wow. It was actually super strict yeah. about it, right? Yeah, he was very strict about it. I was actually working with YouTube and and the in the rights and like in the rights world and the movie studios at the time that this thing came down because the studios were like, well, that's our songs. He can't use it. But then the Tolkien estate was like, he can't have it up there at all. Bye. And they axed <laughs> oh, it. Um, so how did you get so, it back? Oh, I saved it all. Before? Long before. Nine. Yeah. So I, and a bunch of people have been. There's, there's like a place you can find it if you just search Lord of the Rings. Yep. Feel dragish. And then and like, it'll, you'll find it. It's on like this really old download service called Mediafire. But like, oh, it yes. still works. Oh, yeah. I'm listening to one sure on YouTube. Um, it's on YouTube still. The oh, one, you, one of the ones? The same like, version. Yeah, same version. There's still some of it's on yeah, there. People have re-uploaded it. <laughs> um, but... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> so, what you sent us, is there a way where you can listen to that and get back into the same place you stopped? Only if you put it like on like iTunes or something okay. like that. Yeah, that's about the only yeah, way I know to do that. Um, I put it. I uploaded mine to YouTube Music, and I can come back in okay. at any time and do it that way. And then it's in a cloud, so you don't have to have it on your phone. Yeah, I'm really enjoying nice. listening to it. And I, I'm not a big audiobook person, but um, unless I'm driving, if I am driving, yeah. I can listen yeah. to it. But if Wes is driving, then I have a harder time. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. One, one of the things that, that I thought in the very beginning was... was Fred was 50. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before yeah. he left. It, I just, I didn't remember that from, I read it like what, 20 years ago. 17 years? Mm-hmm. And there was nine years that he and, uh, uh, I almost said Dumbledore. Yeah, Dumbledore. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Gandalf didn't talk. Uh, yeah. um, Gandalf, did, and I was like, you don't 
you don't get that, of course, in the movie because it's too much time to, yeah. to. But it was like, oh, he was, he he was mature, a, a, a an adult. He was, um, and so yeah. that was that was very interesting. And then yeah. how Gandalf learned the story of Gollum and told his whole story was I think yeah. that was, that was that really interesting. Yeah, whole time period. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's so one of good. the interesting juxtapositions of the film version mm-hmm. versus the book. Because in the book, Frodo is the oldest. He's fifty when they start out. Sam is a neighbor, and then Merry and Pippin are much younger cousins. Yeah. Whereas the four actors that portray the hobbits, Elijah Wood is the youngest of the four. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> funny. And it kind of flip-flopped chronologically, and Billy Boyd plays Pippin, who I believe is the youngest in the book, and Billy Boyd's the oldest of the four actors. Yeah. Wes said, wow. and Merry and um, Pippin are actually legitimately good friends though who yeah. like in the movie they're yeah. just the worst yeah <laughs> they're good friends in the movie too but the maturity level in the books is far different than it mm-hmm. is in the movies especially for mary mary is quite responsible he's quite responsible yeah <laughs> there are some he has his blunders but most of the time he's he's quite responsible and and uh what i think he's he's kind of strikes me as a if y'all know the enneagram kind of like a four he's very faithful and 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 he has a lot of feelings but he just kind of doesn't doesn't talk about them very often but he he can see it when he gets in the book too with theoden he's just like buddy like forever (laughs) is that is that in the books in the books where he like gives his heart mind soul and everything to theoden yes yes yeah i love it when gandalf's like Yeah. <laughs> in the movie, we just watched. Did you already say that? We watched all the movies past. That, that's oh, that's well, that's, that's Pippin from that's, that's Pippin and oh, uh, oh, not Thaden. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, um, that's uh, Pippin 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 swearing fealty to Denador. But yes. but Mary does swear, swear fealty to Theoden. Yes. So the we we got gotcha. our daughter to watch The Hobbit first, and then got her to watch Lord of the Rings. She's hooked, and I she has never it. been hooked on anything. She's like, really? I'm, I'm sad there's no more Lord of the Rings to watch. She likes Hallmark <laughs> movies. Um, she, she was bitten. She really? never likes anything like these movies at all, and we've watched in the past, she never watched, looked at them, and we were just, I think we were just watching The Hobbit for, it was not like, we're going to sit down and watch all the movies as a family. It was just... Happened to but be she on did watch. She watched the uh, the, the C.S. Lewis movie, movie with us, and she came back. She said, "Daddy, I understand now what you're talking about." Oh she, my gosh! Goes, yes. We had this intellectual conversation on the way back that was just. Off what the did she say here. about it? She said the thing that really stuck out to me was she goes, "You get the cross now and the crown later." She goes, "That really struck with me." And then she explained to me what that meant, and then it was like, "Oh my gosh!" <laughs> okay, she's, she's hit a new level. Right? We're, we're... <laughs> That's great. Yeah. See, now we have an in. If you ever feel like backing out of this this semester of, of Lord of the Rings, now we can just say, what would Eliana do? Yeah. Right. And, and now we're good. Enough. She won't read it. <laughs> she will watch it. See, I'm a, I've give her the audio book I've never version. seen the movies. Because I refuse to watch the movies until I read the books. I think so. I'm waiting. When I think of the, mo- the movies, I think wow. every time of Walter Hooper telling me he saw it with Priscilla. I know I've shared this before. Priscilla Tolkien. And they were like... He's like, I guess we should see it just before we make judgments because the Tolkien family wasn't really happy about it. And they went and saw it, and they were both like, what is this? Like the orcs and all that, like everything just didn't seem like what they thought it was going to be, and mm. I don't think they really liked it. Gotcha. We love it. Yeah. <laughs> I've never seen it, but I'm excited to watch it. I did, did, you have, did, you, did you read it before the movie or after the movie? I read The, I read the Hobbit before the movies, and then the first movie came out, I watched that, and then mm. Gotcha. Mm. Yeah, so I've always had the visual of the orcs. And I think that's one of the things, like, we forget.
did, hmm. and I think this first chapter. So I'm just trying to redirect us. Nice, <laughs> Randy. <laughs> Thank I've you. Never watched the movies. Just watching the movies and going back and reading the books is like, you know, the movies they're writing with in hindsight, or you know, they're putting the scripts together and everything like that because Tolkien. You know, he didn't have the foresight to know what this was going to be mm-hmm. at the very beginning, which I think is, like, why it's slow working in the beginning, because he's, you know, like, Noah, I kept having to be like, dude, it's going to get better. It's mm-hmm. going to get better. It's going to get really good. You just got to get through that next chapter. Oh, wait, no, that one's kind of a... This is Lord of the Rings or a Hobbit. And he had to get through, like, six chapters before it kind of picked up. And I think that's where Tolkien figured, found out, like, this is what this is going to turn into. Whereas... Things like in these first couple chapters, it does read very Hobbit-esque, you know. Mm-hmm. And of course, you get the songs and stuff like that. But you even have the fox that walks by, yeah, mm. which is nowhere himself. else. And I'm like, yeah. there's no more animalistic thoughts. Yep, yeah. Really I know. I just listened to that. Through, again I think Shilo, but that's about it, you know. Yeah, and that's it, meta too. It's that, not even I really. Know, so yeah. I think, I think it's just you're still reading the Hobbit continued. I can't. And then it's like, oh, okay. Now he's going to go back and rewrite things in The Hobbit because of how he formed, you know, Lord of the Rings, which he did. Yeah. Didn't these books, these stories all start out as a nightly bedtime story for his son? The Hobbit, the Hobbit did. did. The Hobbit did. Yeah. Oh, really? This would terrify children. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to remember what I was listening to, what part I was listening to today. And it may, because, you know, I think about like what people said about Tolkien as a professor and he was kind of boring. Um, but when I was listening to the book today, I was like, oh, he, he was, he had some child, he, you, he had to have like some kind of childlike heart in here to be able to write some of the things like maybe like the, was it the fox? Was that what the animal yeah. was? Different things that throughout when I was, cause I've gotten to, they're on their way to, they've just hung out with the elves um, and they're on their way to Rivendell. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, there's, was, there are a couple parts today. I was just like, Oh, he was like kind of silly. <laughs> he had to have some silly childish cool. thing inside of him, childlike thing inside of him that was able to put this in here. Yeah. Yeah. And I also got really kind of mad at the elves when they, what did they say? They were dumb. Like hobbits were dull or dumb. Dull. <laughs> yeah. I was like, Gendalf that's just them. mean. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, think, they they are little. I think because <laughs> a lot of them are. Lord of the Rings and then that whole universe that he created, he often seems far more serious than he is like really yeah. anywhere else in his writings. Like, which I think again, like if you're reading that in light, you know, you're The Hobbit or the first part of Lord of the Rings, you feel very, you know, very light about mm-hmm. it all, and it's just you know fun reading. But like. Letters to Santa Claus, you know, St. Nick that he wrote with his kids and drew pictures on, and then Roborandum and these old dragon stories and stuff like that. So, like, I think he, he was really in touch with the playful side of imagination and fantasy. Mm-hmm. But I think, and all of this is fantasy, right? So, he created these fairy tales. No, Randy, Middle Earth is real. This, Stop. Middle <laughs> Earth is real. Middle Earth is real. And created this. <laughs> David starts speaking Elvish. <laughs> uh, he sees all of it as fairy tale, yeah. you know, and that was a big thing for me is reading on fairy stories, and I was like, oh my gosh, I've read this as an epic the whole time, but he saw it as a fairy tale, yeah, and that you know shed some light on how maybe you would read other childish fairy tales in an adult, you know, 
Yeah, and like and you're like you're saying it's interesting because even here, like even in the first chapters, it's like he starts seeing tinges of what's to come later, and he's he's just like kind of ex just poking his feelers out there. But like you can see with the morals that he puts in, like like the part where he says, where Frodo and, and Gandalf are talking about the ring, and Frodo's freaking out and uh, talking about how uh, Bill Bill was just an easy victim, and then Gandalf says, "Only too true, I fear." But there was something else in it, I think, something which you don't see yet. Even Gollum was not wholly ruined. He had proved tougher than even one of the wise would have guessed as a hobbit might. There was a With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A little corner of his mind that was still his own, only, and a light came through it as a chink in the dark, light out of the past, it was actually pleasant, I think, to hear a kindly voice again, bringing up memories of wind and trees and sun on the grass and such forgotten things. But that, of course, would only make the evil part of him angrier in the end, unless it could be conquered, unless it could be cured. And that, that part is like the first part in the book for me where like, it stands out like, oh, he's got, he's got something bigger he's working on here. And, and, uh, and I don't, don't know, should we, should we dive into the Ring of Gyges now, or should we just hold off on that? Okay, we'll do it. Um, <laughs> so, you're, you're facilitating, man. Um, so the one of the things that some so it was a revelation to me when I found this out was that this the idea of the ring actually is in some ways a meditation on the ring of Gyges from Socrates and, and Plato's Republic. Um, so in 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 the Republic, the characters are talking about um, you know justice. Justice is the main focus of that book and. At one point, they have this parable called the Ring of Gyges where there's this man who is as a shepherd, I believe, and he stumbles into a cave and finds a man dead with a ring on his finger. And he starts off pretty normally, he takes the ring off his finger, and then he comes to find out that the ring has powers and that it can make him invisible. And so then the dialogue is, what does this man do if he knows he can do anything in the world because he can turn himself invisible? Well, he tends towards injustice. He goes and he kills the king, takes his wife, and, and all this. Um, and then the, you know, the Socrates then has to prove, basically, that no, that even though justice is, is not, the, the, not going to get you everything in the world, it's still a good thing. But it, it's basically like you talk, like he goes throughout this opening chapter, kind of lays out a lot of the, the ring lore that that's to come and kind of the struggle that's coming <laughs> inside people um and it's, and it's basically like a long extended meditation on that problem with the ring of gaijis and, and you can see it even in the close of the story as well but it's it's the idea of corruption um you know of, of no one being incorruptible however 
Gandalf does does talk a lot about how certain people in this universe have that light in them still inside them for some strange reason and he also uses it as a way to talk about the weak um, and the strength that they hold and and it's very interesting but it it really struck me this last time reading through this chapter it's just like wow this is this is really where he starts to get into the kind of <clears throat> the deeper stuff the and it and it's it's pretty fascinating mm -hmm. and Frodo asks why didn't you kill him yes and he oh why didn't Bilbo kill him why didn't Bilbo kill him yes it's mercy it's his hand yeah I thought that was that was amazing I yeah. rebound it and listen to it again pity he didn't kill him yeah Ooh. yeah it's, it's a pity that stayed Bilbo's hand I think is what the what the line and is and he says but, yeah. but you didn't see him if you had seen him right that's yeah that's what you would have done too Yep. I think that's. I think that's just so. It's so good. Mm-hmm. What is the? I don't. I can't remember. Is it this? Is this the? Is this the movie or the book? Uh, many who des live deserve, deserve death, and many who die deserve life. Can you give it to them? It's in there. It's, it's in yeah. the book. Yeah. Yeah. Both. Yeah. Actually, in both. Yeah. Yeah. That one has always stuck out to me a lot too, and, and you compound that with the power of the ring too, and then it just becomes something so much more. I feel like I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves a little bit on this. You can see and play with in like other other literature that was heavily influenced, you know, heavily influenced Oxford and kind of mid 20th century scholarship too. I mean, there's themes of Beowulf that are in there. Christopher Marlowe with his Dr. Faustus, right? And his poetry there, I know that was huge in Oxford at the time. And Lewis talks a lot about it too. Mm -hmm. I don't know if Tolkien does, but that's they're dealing there with it, you know, being eternal, you know, yep. and immortality, which of course is something that the ring provides as well. Mm -hmm. You know, and how ultimately like Faustus, you know, like you know, you're ready to accept death. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And it's it's fascinating. And and I think Dianoff explicitly mentions that it's not the rings of power not something mortal should bear yeah. um, because of, of that virtue. So it's like a dealing very much with the implications of boundaries. Yeah. You know, in, in these boundaries of life, boundaries of power. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know. absolutely. And then, even, and then, like, along the boundary line, stepping outside of traditional boundaries, you know, so the hobbits have never left the Shire before and mm -hmm. they go off and do that, right? Yeah. Friends and you know, elves and dwarves aren't friends, you know, and you see that kind of play in, and then they develop a friendship there. So it's like you're dealing with this dynamics of you know stepping outside the bounds of all these things and whether how that can be destructive or how it can be, you know, part of courage and virtue and mm. friendship and all the good things. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Yep. Absolutely. I find I found it interesting too. The uh, the only the only thing in the in the movie that they completely added that that actually I thought enhanced it because <coughs> because of what you what you're saying about removing boundaries. It's not, it wouldn't have been clear had they not included this, the part where Sam's walking through the field of corn and he stops and Frodo keeps going and he said, if I take one more mm -hmm. step, this is the furthest one I've ever gone. Yeah. You wouldn't have gotten that, which is 
said in long format in the in the book, but it's never said in uh, in you know, like a short, succinct way. You wouldn't have gotten that. And I was like, okay, I'll give you that one. That's pretty mm-hmm. good. Like, <laughs> like you're welcome to add that because it worked for yeah. me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was a that was a, a like a, just pushing the boundaries in, in in general is very interesting. Yeah. There's a lot of that in this whole the whole thing. So I think it's something that Lewis and Tolkien and themselves being like Oxford people, but also like, you know, Tolkien, he was like, I don't really want to be an Oxford professor in the sense of that, like, he wanted to do this, mm-hmm. and this was always the big distraction from his other work, so he'd always be great papers late and get in the pack and not showing up to class and stuff like that, because oh, this is what he wanted like a kid. to do. Yeah. He was pursuing the adventure out of the safety of something. It's Shire. Yeah. He is Leaf. And yet, yeah. at the same time, both him and Lewis were kind of curmudgeon-y kind of people. That, you know, it, I mean, they were they were professional in their own ways, you know, and Lewis always wore a suit, you know, it's like Tolkien too, and they were always talking about proper All drinking pints. You know, yeah. But all drinking pints. Yeah. Lots of pints. So Lewis was, was uh, he was over some kind of, I'm going to get this wrong, but he was over some kind of uh, documentation of uh, where he had to write a report on certain things that happened for this particular thing. He was like a chair or something like in this, and so he was given, and basically they would just write down the events that happened and what, you know, like keeping minutes or something like that, but it wasn't, it was like keeping track of things that happened in this, yeah. this thing. He turned his into a story. And he wrote, he wrote it as a fairy tale type thing because he couldn't do just what he was asked to do. He had to do something creative with it. He yeah. just, uh, and so neither one of them had, they were not taken as serious because they couldn't just do the, the thing. It was like, oh, go, go do this. It's like, huh, but, I'm going to turn this into a fairy way, tale. Like Tolkien describes fairy tales. It's always pushing the limits of imagination, but mm-hmm. still there's physics involved. You know, there's rules that this thing has to operate in. And I, I just think like that's a part of the day and age in which they wrote, you know, where, you know, fantasy or fairy tales or whatever were a kind of rebellion against, you know, modernism, factual sure. dataism, you know, all that kind of stuff. So they were like, we're going to push this creative, imaginative, literary thing to its envelope, but without going silly with it, you know, mm-hmm. as like Tolkien hated Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs because he was like, this is not a, what a dwarf, you know, and like because he was like they look silly, you know, they're not yeah. real, they don't portray this, you know. And he was a question, but either way, his whole thing is like stretching the imagination within functional, workable limits, and then saying that's the way that the world works or should work. Yeah, we approach the world that way. Yeah, and atmosphere is something else that. Tolkien does very well, and Lewis critiques Alexander Dumas's uh, Three Musketeers, and he says it's a terrible book because there's no atmosphere. He's like, there's no talk of weather, there's no talk of buildings or roads, or there's no directions, and it's just, it's just action to action, action to action. He says, there's no atmosphere in the book whatsoever. He goes, now I might be wrong. He said, but I don't know what the weather was like. I don't, I don't. There's a few ends here and there, but there's nothing meteor into that. It's just, you know, I just, it's like it's watching a, a John Woo film, I guess, you know, or something like that. It's just uh, all action. Where, I mean, Tolkien writes, the atmosphere is just, you feel like you're literally transported to Middle Earth. Mm-hmm. Yep. Middle Earth exists, right? If, if, 
if, if this earth exists, middle earth exists, you know, that's, that's how tightly wound it seems to be. The synthesis of imagination and reason inside this book are, mm-hmm. are extremely tight. No doubt. No doubt. It's, it's tight stuff. Um, what did y'all think about the elves first, the first encounter with the elves in this one? Did they strike you as, I think we kind of touched on this already, did they strike you as uh, typical elfish? Kind of snooty. Yeah. But then, but then, uh, generous. Yes. True. Helpful. They were high elves, so. They were high elves. elves. There's got to be some humble snoots in there. (laughs) (laughs) They acted like people that hadn't interacted with other species other than at an arm's length. Yeah. For hundreds of years, which is, you know. Frodo surprised him. Stuff like that. They, they, They watch everybody. They don't want to get too close. They're, they're, they're <coughs> common, we're the high elves and such. But they, like, once they realized that Frodo was on a mission that he couldn't specify, but that they were concerned about Dark Riders, which they knew very well what that was all about and stuff like that, <coughs> it's like, okay, he's on a high mission. We will offer what help we can. I love the conversation between Frodo and the one lead elf yeah. with their... Frodo asking for advice and then the elf going, well, you could do this or you could do that. And Frodo calling him out and saying, it's no use of asking an elf for help because he'll tell you yes and no help. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> totally true. It's, it's interesting though because I, I, that, that line that, that she just talking about is really interesting because it, it's actually really true. Like, you know, Frodo gets mad and he's like, you've told me both yes and no, but his reply is, well, because advice is dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, good. Yeah. So it's like, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's good. You meditate on that for a little while, it starts to sink into your brain. You're like, oh man, what I say carries so much weight to mm-hmm. others. You know, it's 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 powerful stuff. Which is probably why they seem so snooty to others because they stop and they weigh every single word they say, yeah. especially to somebody not of their own kind, because yeah. it could be so easily mm-hmm. misinterpreted. Mm-hmm. Yep. And also, they're not technically speaking their native tongue, which is another thing. I love the visual of them walking with no light. Mm. Yeah. And I read the books as a teenager, so I don't have, and I've watched the movies, but I don't have the movies in my mind. So I'm still seeing, like, my imagination from when I was 17 years old Mm, and watching them walk through it with no light and just how light emanates Mm. from them and through them. And it's really cool, and I love love movies but I don't care that movies sometimes ruin my own mm-hmm. imaginings yep and, and I think there's so much depth that a movie can give that I didn't think of but I also try to hold on to the part of my imaginings that I really loved mm-hmm. and yeah. so for this one as I'm watching them walk through it in my mind I was like oh can you imagine seeing something like that mm-hmm. just going through the night That'd yeah be amazing and why don't you walk in the center of us? Really? Can you imagine Sam? Am I Yeah. I wish I... The only thing I wish I had known when I read Harry Potter, because I read those before the movies, was Hermione's name. 
That's yeah. so Hermione. <laughs> Hermione. Hermione. <laughs> Spent so many years saying Hermione in my mind because no one was saying it. That's funny. But Hermione did look a lot different in the books. Yeah. Although she did correct herself, correct her appearance partway through the books. And originally, I think Emma Watson. Watson, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, had to wear. Um, yeah, they tried putting. They tried doing the, the teeth on her, and it didn't work. So. Yeah. No, really. She couldn't, she couldn't enunciate the lines. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be tough. <laughs> so the, what's is there? Is, it's an allegory. Uh, it's, not, it's, it's an analogy, but the high elves. Would we be able to comprehend those as sort of angelic beings? Are they? Are they? They're more. You're not meant to. You're not meant to, but yeah. to get a conceptualization of like, they have these supernatural powers. Because the way that 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 I, that I think the book comes across is, in the way that Tolkien even sees it, is we're hobbits, right? Like the the reader comes in the everyman, right? You're the everyman. Saying Frodo's an everyman as far as an archetypal person, right? Person off the street gets a ring. And he has to go on this grand mission. He doesn't have any superpowers. He's not bitten by a radioactive spider or anything. It's like the unsuspected hero, right? Yeah, it's it's a hero's journey, right? And so the hobbits are just salt-of-the-earth type people, in in a sense. And so these other beings have all these powers. Even Aragorn has certain powers because of the line that he's from. And so, I don't know, I'm just... um, I draw that comparison because of 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 what... Orcs, hmm. the, the the juxtaposition between orcs and elves, yeah. you know, yeah. it, it seems to be there could be a, a comparison there. I think every, world. every every race and every figure in here, he's trying to highlight certain yeah, archetypal yeah. parts of them, right? Yeah. So you know, Aragorn is the hero, right? And it's funny, I just looked up the archetypes in one of the ranks. Of course, <laughs> no. of course, there's you know, there's age and there's wisdom with mm-hmm. him. And Despite the human flaws, elves as well. You know, I think the you know aspects of a enchanted world. You know, mm-hmm. that's kind of long. You know, pre pre fall like that's that's mm-hmm. there in them. So I think like all of these have even Gandalf right as the you know the wise one. Mm-hmm. I think has some strong you know elderly archetypal aspects to them. As know? soon as I started reading anything about Gandalf, I was like, oh. Dumbledore. Yeah. <laughs> like it's just like it's yeah. so easy to pick out that archetype. I feel like that's the easiest one to pick out. There's always like the mentor, the wise one, the one who's older and has been yeah. through it, earned wisdom. Like mm-hmm. there's yeah. always that one. I feel like that was always the easiest to, to pick out. I think too the another way to look at the, the elves, in particular the ones who crossed to the undying lands and then back again, the Eldar, uh, is Eden people. Yep. Um because mm. they've been touched by the gods, for lack of a better word, and they've been to they've been to the undying lands, to the eternal realm, and um, what they carry with them is what we might call a piece of the Shadowlands. Yep. Um, if we're going to go into into, okay. into that kind of metaphor, so they're they're even in Middle Earth. They and he talks about this at times. Is the elves are walking in two worlds? They're walking in the Undying Lands and in Middle Earth, and they carry with them a piece of that eternity. 
at all times. And so their power, as we as we perceive it, is really just it's just beyond. It's just you know it's it's reality. This is what you know you can. You can it, they are solid, more solid people, though they are not quite solid because they're walking in Middle Earth. So but, it's Superman yeah, with the yellow sun, is is what it is. A little bit, a little bit, yeah, and. You know, maybe, but you know, so much to a lesser extent because they they're still very killable. <laughs> right. Yes. You know? Yes. So, um, but they. I like that they're know. more solid. Than, yeah. Okay. That was that. That's my general thought when I when I think about them, um, and then. Well, they're the link between heaven and earth, basically. Yeah. You know, it's there. Yeah. Because they still they still have. Is there a, their perspective, because they are immortal and they live for so long. They have that more eternal perspective on things, and you know some of the things that are a really big deal, to like hobbits or to men or something like that. It's like, why is that such a big deal? You know, hundred years yeah. from now, that's not going to mean a thing. Yeah. Because they're still going to be around. Exactly. Years from now, and the rest of us are going to be. Oh, I guess time's like a ripple. Time moves fast and slow to a to an elf. Now, one of the things that like the movies didn't do, but the books continue to highlight, is that like with the end of. Sauron, right, and with this being done, you know, history and Earth would move into a completely new age itself that would basically be the end of this. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So there's almost like, you know, here's, here's history, then there's this primordial history, mm-hmm. and then the elves exist in this almost prehistory mm-hmm. world, right, where it's not primordial and it's not modern, you know, bronze and iron age, but it's like you can see there's this almost linear connection and of course then men are the ones that go from that <clears throat> or never pre you know in the pre-world but they there are a link to that last one yeah so there's like three stages which mm-hmm. you know yeah he's just playing with different stages of history and reality yeah you know and the origin story of men is never told which is also something i find interesting and i don't know what that means to him yet if, except that maybe he just didn't want it but um it, it's an interesting point to make um, whereas the origin of elves is definitely told, and the dwarves also. He also believed, said, I mean, like, it's like this is a religion. So, like, it's not, <laughs> he didn't really believe this, but he advocated for this mythology of, like, you know, elves and dwarves and all these kind of, like, you see in the last battle, right? Or Megiddo or Armageddon, right? That there's going to be this end of all history and that, you know, the blessed lands will reopen and elves and dwarves and there's going to be like a battle at the end to defeat Morgoth which is very revelation-esque yeah. but it's like for him the world that he created 
you think kill off these earlier ages, it's just like it, it wraps them up and the elves went with that. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. And you know, the, what's really weird about this, like <laughs> even where we're, like, where we're at and we're just talking like the first introduction of elves in this part of the book, like you don't get any of that. Like it's, but he has it in here and yep. so he throws it in there all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's what blows my mind sometimes is he just will, he'll just drop something that then you like reading the Silmarillion like way down the road and you're like, oh, oh that, that <laughs> yeah. bit. And then like it makes more sense when you come back around and read it a second time because he he'd somehow kept it in his brain. I don't know how he did that because I don't think he'd written any of it yet, like in terms of like just laying it all out in detail. But like it was like it's very clearly there. Like Elbereth, like at the end of this, he says, may Elbereth protect you. And you're like, who the heck is that? Well, <laughs> and then he comes back around to that later at the end of the at the end of the book. Where he's talking about um, what Galadriel says on for his way out, but it's still like even that's not the full description of who Elvareth is, and it's un an unbelievably deep <laughs> mythology that he had just crammed in his in his mind that he like breaks out later. It's it's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I loved I loved reading that. Every time I read it, I'm like, geez, man. Like, you're on a whole different level. Can I just point out that David's copy of Lord of the Rings looks, looks like a, a, uh, a Bible? Yeah, <laughs> look at that. Is that all the books? Or is that just that's the whole thing, yeah. Okay. That is awesome looking. That's the whole thing. It is pretty cool. And this also, someone just gave this copy to me, and that was in it. Oh, cool. And so I was just like, ah, all right, I'll leave it. That's fine. That's fine. That's cool. I had that exact same copy. Oh, really? That Asbury. So I wonder if that's oh. the same one that that's interesting. just got passed down the line. There. Did you highlight? Um, oh, I hope so, because that'd be really cool. Oh, man, there's some highlights in here. I'll have to see if I can find, if I run across it. All we have to do Everybody. is decide what, what to do with the time that's given us. Did you highlight Maybe. that part ever? <laughs> there was this one passage I'd, I'd like to read here in the, in the Three's Company chapter that I just really liked. Do it. I'm glad that the movie took components of this and put it in there but it goes to show just the poetic beauty and its fusion with wisdom in Tolkien that he didn't just say wise things he didn't just say poetic things but he was able to make them work um, really uniquely uh, he used to often say there was only one road that it was like a great river its springs were at every doorstep and every path was its tributary it's a dangerous business road of going out to your front door used to say, you step into the road and if you don't keep your feet, there is no knowing where you might be swept off to. Do you realize that this is the very path that goes through Merkwood, and if you let it, it might take you to the Lonely Mountain, or even further, into worse places? He used to say that on the path outside the front door at Bag Inn, especially after he had been out for a long walk. Mm. Wow. Mm -hmm. I just love the homage <laughs> yeah. to the Hobbit right there, but just this also like theme which I think runs throughout here which is like all you have to do is start the journey and then the rest of the journey carries you mm. Mm -hmm. the one action that Frodo and Bilbo both had to make was actually walking out their front door and then it was like you're gone there's no turning back yeah just so indicative of the hero's journey too it's just like yeah. entering leaving the old world entering the new world that you know that initial plot point it's just stepping out of it into the, and it's like but he, he it makes it so not trite 
which is it could have been so so simplistic but like mm -hmm. the, the poetry he weaves in there like makes it into this um you know epic but epic fairy tale yeah yeah it's really so good. if if we look at something we've said here many times is great stories start out with the known and this is this is what is known this is what consciously this is the this is all of the information this is all the tools that you have now you're going to take that and you're going to go into the unknown and you're going to see how well that works you got to keep what what works you have to change what doesn't work so that you can actually make it back and then you bring back with you the unknown and make it known and then you'll go back out and conquer the unknown again and so we get to see that hobbits had things inside of them they didn't know they had and certain aspects and certain things that uh, certain qualities that the hobbits had intrinsically actually work out in chaos more so than the intrinsic qualities of other species and things like that. And so it's this great thing of this, this uh, conscious and unconscious going on the whole time and conquering chaos and knowing that, yeah, a hobbit can go conquer chaos. A hobbit can, the, the, the biggest, baddest evil around <coughs> as you talk about that little bit of light in the corner of the mind, it's so dangerous that the enemy has to squash out even that little tiny bit of light. Because even when it looks like you're walking in darkness, if you have the light inside of you, everything's illuminated, right? And, it's, and so, as I, I, when, the, when the darkness of the world's going on and, and there's chaos and there's tribulation, I always go, there's two hobbits. Mm -hmm walking around right now. I don't know who they are or where they're going, but they've got the ring and we're going to be all right. I don't know, but it just, there's two hobbits and uh, maybe you're the hobbit, maybe you know, but uh, maybe, you know, and so I just think it's amazing that the enemy is never safe. <laughs> you know, he's never safe. Uh, and I think that's just, uh, it's, it's encouraging just to read this and just realize that with all the many mistakes that, that the, uh, the hobbits are prone to, uh, he works all things for good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful stuff. It's beautiful. What? How, how long do we have, typically? Uh, it's not yet eight o'clock. Oh, good. so we have another thirty minutes or so. Excellent. Do we want to talk about Tom Bombadil? <laughs> do we want to preach? Oh yeah. <laughs> Do we? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I was wondering about that. Well, let's, I wasn't sure if we let's got open the Tom floor. Bombadil or not. <laughs> well, what, what were your fun. thoughts on Tom Bombadil? I just, I had the same question. was like, are we going to talk about Tom Bombadil? Maybe, Randy, I, I feel like you're the most qualified to talk about Tom well, Bombadil. Well, well, can we just do it real quick? <laughs> <laughs> Except for Tom Bombadil. <laughs> That is, that is him. Doesn't Tom Bombadil kind of divide the Tolkien reader community? It does. There's yeah. a lot of people there's, that just can't get past There's him. people that just hate Tom Bombadil and people that just love him. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, For me, this is where I think in the book he was moving forward. He was like, oh, okay, well, I can't rewrite that whole thing or leave him out or whatever. He was just one of the – I mean, he had written Tom Bombadil – poems and stories way before this and yeah. this is partly his I call this his C.S. Lewis Santa Claus moment where it was like you're watching Narnia and you're like do you really belong here in this story here you know and Tom Bombadil is like this character that he introduced into this world yeah. which is never going to show up again yeah. except in reference and just doesn't really 
work. You know, I yep. think he's. I like him in his own world. I don't like him as. Yeah. Say so what do people think? Do people like him here, or do people not like him? You like him? I'm total Tom Bombadil fan. You like him? You like him? I like him too, but I don't think he's in this story. Yeah, this story seems out of place. I he does play a role, but it is very small, and it could have been done differently. Yeah. Um, but he, he he does bring just a total element of of mystery. Just, oh yeah. He's sure. just a complete enigma, and he's a complete mystery. And yeah. He he throws you off for he throws you down so many pathways. It's like what he's do, what's he doing? Yeah. What's he doing with this guy? And there's lots of theories and stuff, but. Uh, I, I always, you know, they're in the C.S. Lewis uh, where he's talking about the little box garden that his, his brother made, and that's like he always, you know, had that, that was like his picture of, of beauty or joy or the first, you know, experience with that that he had. I, I, I kind of have that same feeling about the little, you know, Tom Bombadil. The enclosure, that little, completely separate kingdom, that like this oasis, and mm -hmm. like there, uh, it, it's sort of like it's like a story with it's definitely a story within a story. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's sort of almost a little bit like many Rivendellish. You know, they're they're not they're not you know, they're just in you know this kind of less intimidating woods. It's not Mirkwood. Yeah. Is it? It's not Mirkwood. No, it's no. just it's the old forest. It's just yeah. the old forest. That's the that's the term. It, it almost seems like it's a little it's a little microcosm of some of that oasis sort of beauty. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. I think I think it does contrast well in the themes of the book between like here's this again, this prehistoric pre you know lived forever apparently and we don't really know anything about him although mm -hmm. he's not God so yeah. but it's this like this compared with Saruman industrialism techno you know technology and then you have this you know you're like well which one would I rather hang out with even though he sings all the time I'd rather <laughs> hang out with Tom Bombadil you know than this and it's just like yeah yeah, it, it's a good contrast. It is a good contrast. So I was at uh, C.S. Lewis Society, and we had a uh, a priest. Um, I've forgotten his name, but he came and he was talking about the fall of Tom Bombadil. That was his whole. That was his whole lecture yeah. for an hour and thirty minutes was on the fall of Tom Bombadil. Really. And as he finishes this, one of the one of the students there in, in the in the in the in the audience says, "Well, who is he?" And so they're going through all these things, and one person, the uh, just just a uh, just one of the members, raised their hand and says, "Based on everything you've said and everybody said here today, I think it could be the case we made that Tom Bombadil is the personification of nature itself." Mm -hmm. yep. yeah. And cool. that yeah. that seems to make sense That's why really he's cool. why it's in the story, why everybody you'd rather hang around with him, the industrialization versus nature, yep. and and that, and so I was like, "That's." And and the the uh, the priest said that's the best answer I've ever heard. Yeah. So we're going to go with that, and that's that's going to be my answer from now on. So, all right. Yeah, yeah. I've heard that Not, yeah it, and it makes it makes sense the to English, a degree. The English countryside. I, I heard. I don't. I can't yeah. reference it, but I heard somewhere that 
that he had equated it in a letter with the English countryside. Hmm. Yeah. Now here's one question that I do have about him, though. Why can't he defeat Sauron? Right? Like, he seems to be all-powerful, eternal. You know, you would assume that you can't kill him. You know? Mm-hmm. And he's always like, well, if you ever need anything, I'll show up for help. And one time he does, he just takes care of it, basically, with a wave of his hand, you know? So it's like, why is he not involved in the rest of the story moving forward? What's the limitations there? Yeah. I was watching a video on YouTube. Um, (laughs) I'd have to look at the guy's name real quick. But there's a professor of Tolkien who is going through the War of the Ring, the book that... Uh, J.R. Tolkien's son put out and uh, in there there was a footnote that um, that Tolkien had put in you know just one of his writings or whatever that said Tom Tom Bombadil could have beat Sauron by himself and it's just this random (laughs) thing and there's like nothing else around it but it's just like it's like and it's just like wait what (laughs) what is going on here like yeah. Well, you lose a story. You don't yeah. have a story. If yeah. Tom well, sure. Waves his hand and it's you know, but yeah. don't have these conversations. Yeah. yeah. It's like they couldn't just well, fly on the eagles to Mordor and fly back. There's and drop right. the ring. There's a lot of for that one. Yeah. There's a, there's yeah. a lot of there's a lot of ammunition as to why that wouldn't work. But, uh, yeah, but Tom Bombadil. But Tom is weird. The only one that I've ever heard that's a that that kind of, I don't know if this is coming from my brain or someone else, but Gandalf describes him as he will not come out. He he is he lives in a little land within bounds that he has set for himself. Yeah. Yeah, that's so there is there is something about Tom that desires to maintain his realm and and let it be and and nothing else. And mm-hmm. I'm and I'm not sure if that's not enough of a motivation for me. Mm-hmm. But there's must be something that Tolkien's playing on there where he wants us to think. Tom's got his reasons, and also, then Gandalf goes on to say, you know, where they say, we should give the ring to Tom, and he's like, no, I wouldn't hold his mind, um, which to me makes me wonder if Tom, you know, if, if Tom was the embodiment of nature, if he's just like, he's so chaotic in his own way that 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 never would occur to him to even try to do because he's just doing his thing. Um, I don't know. It's it's very difficult for me to answer that question though. I've, I've he's struggled not with like, that a long uh, time. He's not affected by it, right? So it just right. makes you want to wonder if he's like above or below it. But I think the way that we're all talking about it, it's like he's more outside of it. Like he's not above or below it, right? In like a yeah. hierarchical sense, he's like outside of. Just a different element. Yeah. Which is probably another reason I think he doesn't really belong in the story because he's he's just. Is a completely non-verisimilitude character. Um, it's not his story. It, yeah, definitely mm-hmm. isn't his story. So I, I haven't gotten to Bombadil. I just know the name. But when does he show up? In the old forest. <laughs> right after. Um, right after the elves. I was almost there. You're almost to Tom Bombadil. Right after they leave. So, but he um, just shows up for a second. No. Not so much a second. (laughs) You'll have to wade through it. (laughs) I've edited quite a bit of it out in the abridged version. I was like, he's—is he just like a random character that doesn't show up again? They reference him. Yeah, I 
Yeah, they do reference him, but yeah. I was like, he's not Tolkien's San or C.S. Lewis's Santa Claus, right? No. Yeah. Because, you know, Tolkien, you know, made fun of Lewis for Santa. Yeah. Well, not yeah. Santa. Saint Nick. Saint Nick. Santa Father Christmas. Father, Father Christmas, Christmas, sorry. Christmas. He comes across, and I think you're touching on this, but he comes across as defined. Mm-hmm. Like, with his own boundaries, you know, what he can and can't do. He, and defined by that, but he also seems to exhibit, like, purpose and freedom within those limitations too which in the physics of mm-hmm. this world you know I don't know if Tolkien ever went there with it but you know I think we all recognize and he recognized clearly that Pompeo could have taken Sauron down right the fact that he didn't though may just mean like and if Sauron had pushed through and this whole story was a great tragedy he would have run up against this enclave, you know, this world owned by Bombadil and, and would have been defeated there, you know. And so there's never a fully lost space of good that will always triumph over evil. Mm-hmm. You know? No matter how cosmic or great it is, nature always will win, which clearly is true. Yeah. You know? If we end up destroying our world, you know, nature will eventually take back. One of my beefs with him is that the story stops, kind of, with him in a certain way. Like, the story this moves on, then we get to Tom Bombadil, and then the story stopped, and I'm very annoyed with him. <laughs> Sorry. He's really annoying. Um, however, you're going from, like, the hardship of the journey and the, the, all the things that are happening to them, and it's very dark. And then you have Tom Bombadil, and it's this bridge of joy, to the next dark thing that is happening to him. So is he not necessary to show us that in all the dark spaces of our lives, Mm -hmm. the things that we think are a waste because they stop our story? Mm -hmm. But what if those are bridges of joy? Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. They get us from here to here, and you need them Mm-mm. to slow the story down. Yeah. I, you know, it's so weird you were saying that because I felt that last time I read it. I was kind of like, this is, this is, like, and he, they even mentioned that this is necessary arrest for, for them. He, he, he mentions that a couple times. And, and it does set up, it does set up the very end, the very, very end, which we shouldn't spoil, but with, with the things they find in the Barrow Downs. Um, and... It is. It is in a certain way necessary, uh, but it yeah definitely does. It definitely does bring that little levity back into the place of darkness, especially where 
you know, there, that was probably the most traumatic point for the Hobbits up to that point. Mm-hmm. Like, they had not faced, like, real, you know, serious death uh, at, up until that moment. It had just been, like, running away. And then, you no, know, like, you know, like Merry and Pippin, they're gone. Like, they're toast if he doesn't come along. Mm-hmm. And, and It's uh, also kind of like their first experience with the metaphysical or the, su- I, I don't know if I want to call it the supernatural, but, you know, they had equated Gandalf with just firecrackers and, you know, fireworks. And, uh, but here when they get into the Barrow Downs and, and with Bombadil and stuff, they're starting to experience. They're they're definitely out of. They're not in Kansas, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. anymore. They're not in the Shire anymore, and they're starting yeah. to experience bigger forces, you know, coming at them. Yeah, absolutely. There's a part I quoted in here. I wonder, thinking about like Tom Bombadil and you know his famous <coughs> line of "Who is Tom Bil- Tom Bombadil? He is." Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that, in a way, contrasts with the whole idea of uh, more Melkor uh, uh, not wanting to be himself and wanting to be. Mm. Yeah, real. And so that yeah. that idea of you know the ring represents power in which you can take what you want to uh-huh. to become something that you're not. Yeah. And in that sense, I wonder if that's there's that contrast there with Tom Bilbert is who he is. Yeah. And therefore the ring has no power over him because he oh. doesn't want to be anybody else. Oh man, that's brilliant. That's good. That's friggin' brilliant. Yeah. Really like, um what did what did Dumbledore say? The person who sits and looks in the mirror of error said, the only thing he will see, the most happiest man in the world, the only thing he will see is himself staring back at him. Mm. Mm. Um yeah. And and Tom maybe is that he is completely content with who he is, and therefore that's why he's unaffected by the power of yeah the power can't affect him. That's that's pretty genius, yeah. man. Just <laughs> all we get together. What was it? Yeah. Was there something about a mirror in Lord of the Rings in the beginning? What was it we were talking about? Where I said Rowling also got a lot of her stuff from. Tolkien. Yeah. Well, like I said, as soon as you're you bring Gandalf, you're like, oh. Yeah. And um, uh, Mirror, Gladriel. Gladriel. And Gladriel's yeah. Mirror, yeah. mirror Pond. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I was like, dang. Tolkien, or Rowling got her stuff from a lot of these old authors. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Gandalf important. resembles, I mean, Dumbledore. Dumbledore resembles <laughs> Gandalf like, yeah. so many ways. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. I mean, even down to the white beard. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> and to, to, your, to your point earlier, I think that the uh, the bit where the bit where they really definitely like start to feel it it was uh, here what what is it is the moment where Frodo uh, rushed back to the bank or no Sam rushed back to the bank and Frodo was near the water's edge and then Frodo's like Sam the tree tried to throw me throw me in the big root just twisted around and tipped me in and 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 then Sam's like. Oh, you were dreaming. You were dreaming. I, I you know, I, you, sh- you shouldn't sit in place if you feel sleepy like this. And then it, and then the dawns on them that this is real, and like, yeah. and all this stuff that they had just kind of had on on the periphery of the Shire in their minds is like mm-hmm. like myth, like just <clears throat> suddenly it just literally reels them in. Yeah. And then Bombadil comes out of freaking nowhere, and he's like, <laughs> he's just like, see ya. I'm gonna sing you to sleep, and <laughs> and and it's just like. This, this, maybe there's just this experience of being brought into the new world a little bit of just like, oh, wow, this is, 
there's so much more than I thought there was. Um, and yeah, it's a human journey. Yeah, yeah. And the hope is that it's, you know, with elves and good enchantments and Tom Bombadils and not, you know, with orcs. Who is oh, the one man. that told the elves, asked the elves about the Black Riders? Was it Merry or Pippin? Pippin. Um, Pippin, yes. It was, was just Pippin, Proto, and Sam at that point. That, that up with oh, that, that's right, that's right. Because I was like, why are you telling them about the Black Riders? What if they're not, like, good elves? <laughs> <laughs> or they're yeah. being too snooty. Yeah. Because remember, I mean, I can't remember, I don't know if that happens in the book. In the movie, when he's like, "Oh, that's Frodo Baggins," and he's not supposed to share his real name. Oh, does yeah, that, happen that in does the book? happen in the well, and to to an extent, in a different way. Yeah, and I'm like, stop sharing everything. Yeah, yeah. The, I think uh, I don't know. Maybe this is an interesting topic to bring up. That the elves are largely seen by everyone as treacherous but not evil with the exception of certain men in the south if i'm not mistaken um, southerners they uh, uh yeah what? yeah i mean like the rohirrim believe galadriel to be treacherous but they clearly don't, <coughs> don't think you know of them as orcs uh because they have respect for them in some manner, but yeah, it's interesting that they that they're very trusting of of the elves straight off. Mm. But I mean, granted, Frodo has had a lot of experience with them, and so is Bilbo. So there's there's some backstory there, but yeah, it is is interesting. That they just kind of trust them straight away. Hmm. Also, I think this is the point where their friendship is kind of rebonded. I, and to a certain extent, Ooh. like they're all just have this really crazy shared, wacky experience, and then like nothing is going to tear them apart after that, mm -hmm. you know. Um, Do you think the hobbits are? I don't. I keep, I don't know this much about the hobbits, if, and if there's more spoken of it, because uh, like to me, what you're saying right there, the the way they're bonded, I'm like, are they ever truly that close? hobbits or do they share that kind of closeness and uh camaraderie. camaraderie like they obviously you know they drink together they eat together they party together but when you have the opening of the book and it's like there's a lot of gossip mm -hmm. there's a lot of this but yeah. it's almost like out of there's tradition a, more than an out, more than like out of actual relationship yeah, it's like yeah. different kind of families and gangs and they're all like have their things with each other but when you have these guys traveling together they share like a deep heart connection and I didn't yeah. know if the hobbits in general are like that or if this journey has made it more so. Good question. I mean, they seem like a flighty bunch. And yeah. They, and they do. There is quotes about them. Frodo says, sometimes I think that what we need is a good dragon or, mm. or yeah. something to wake them up a little bit. Because the elves said, there you're so dull. <clears throat> and I yeah. mean, it just seems like they're like little kids living life until they die. Seems I mean, a little bit. <laughs> it seems a lot like... That is uh, very consistent with it being about the British. Yeah, I was gonna. Yeah, I was gonna you know, really sort of like um, I'm thinking about. I don't know if you've seen the uh, the the movie Tolkien, um, where uh, <laughs> that's that's gonna be really loud in a second. Yeah, we made it all the way to this point. Although you're 
like covering his ears. It's like a little tough. <laughs> That's not a bad one. Oh, yeah, one earlier was like, it was way worse. Yeah. 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 You're right. I think you're right. So, like, you know, uh, in World War II, you know, Churchill kind of roused, roused the British common man to, to valor. And, and in, in the trenches, probably a folk, well, Tolkien was referencing the Great War, um, but in, in both wars, I think you saw the, you probably saw that bonding in, in the face of that great danger and that, that great evil, and, you know, you, they're just, you know, kind of bumbling, bumbling Ooh. fellows, you know, yeah. meeting for a pint. Know, most of the time, but then when it gets down to the metal, they, you know, they showed their their true their true metal. Which I think yeah. is again just like it's playing with these ideas of con, you know, uh, contrast in this moving world that he's witnessing is dying out. Mm. I and mean, he frequently talked about you know uh, wanting to live in pastures and the green lands and you know we're we're tear. I mean, you see Sauron, Sauron tearing down trees and building machinery and stuff like that but at the same time you also have this in both the hobbit and lord of the rings where when they return on their journey they're much better for having left yeah. the safe place mm -hmm. where oh, wow. everything and so you go back and you're like you know well, we can't even get along with any of the other hobbits because they've never been outside right the that's what i'm saying it's like they're so yeah. like one-dimensional well, yeah. no shared experience so people mm -hmm. oftentimes criticize you know tolkien about just being a non-modernist or you know uh, the peacefulness of nature you know and just wanting to stay there but i don't think he ever says that i think he just says like oh, that's not what he wrote yeah you have to get out of the safe spaces the safe spaces are good and nature provides so much of that but you know you're either going to stay behind your front door or you're going to step off of it and you're going to go on a river yeah because his main characters become different yeah. people after their adventure yeah. and the shire is not enough for them anymore yeah. they so. miss they love the comforts and they miss those beautiful parts <clears throat> but it's not enough yeah well this was a guy too that lost all his best friends in world war one you know yeah. and so you come back from those kind of things and lewis never barely talked about the war i don't think he rarely talked about the war either except mm -hmm. to his son you know <clears throat> during world war ii was in the raf and so it's like my grandfather wouldn't talk you know, about there's, it. There's there's something about once you go on the journey outside of the safety, yeah. you never come back the same. Mm. The only people that you can come back to are the people that went on the journeys with you or similar journeys, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, the hobbits in general, when you were asking about that, reminded me of the Beatles song Piggies. All the little piggies leaving the little piggy lives, yep. just getting. I don't know that work, song. Getting their food, stuff like that. It's on the White Album. <laughs> 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 and stuff like that. It's just it's a short little minute and a half long song, but it talks about the dreary, mundane, humdrum lives of the average hmm. British common man. Yep. I mean, they go to work, they come home, they have their tea, and round and round and round, and don't realize that the living is in slop or a pig pen or anything like that because they're perfectly content with what they got yeah. not realizing that there's so much more out there
This storyline's been, it's repeated over and over and over, and it's always a good storyline. It's in Gladiator. Remember Gladiator? You just wanted to be a farmer, mm -hmm. right? Uh, around the world in 80 days, Phileas Fogg, he, had, he was so mundane in what he did every day. He had everything down to precise steps. This would take this long. He knew exactly how long it would take him to do everything in the morning. He was so rigid. Hmm. Uh, Walter Mitty. Walter Mitty, yeah. Mm -hmm. So these, these things of, <clears throat> but once you walk out the door, you're not in control anymore. Yep. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, my one of my best friends, she traveled outside of the United States for the first time. It was with me. We went to France. And she, for years I've been trying to get her to go, go, go. And she just, she liked the predictability of her life mm -hmm. and the comfort of her home. She doesn't like a lot of, well, back then she didn't. And we came back a week later. I called her. I'm like, how are you doing? She's like, I... Nina, I can't, I, I don't want to work here anymore. I, I want to, I, nothing's the same anymore. And I can't, I'm not comfortable anymore. I want to, I want to go. I want to see, I want to see more. I want to do more. And I'm like, I knew it would happen to you once you got out there. Um, and it's just, it's like we were made for more, but there's a comfort and a safety. The Shire was safe. Is, it, is that a contrast between the Lord of the Rings then and the Hobbit? Because in the Hobbit, you have Bilbo, you know, and the Hobbits, the Turkish side versus the, you know, the Bagginses. And, mm -hmm. the, and at first, the Turk's like, yeah, let's go on this adventure. And then towards the end, he's like, I'm done. Mm -hmm. I just want to go back to the Shire. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, like, you know, you see that contrast mm -hmm. between, like, in the Hobbit, where it's like, no, I want to go home. And I want to, you know. Well, it's a very human condition. I've yeah. traveled mm -hmm. a bunch. And, you know, I, I'm always excited to go on travels and stuff like that. But there comes a point where there's no place I'm done. Home. I'm ready to go home. Yeah, if you're in a place where you're there for months and months and no one speaks your language, there are no cultural comforts, mm -hmm. just one word in, a, in, a, in an understood tone mm -hmm. is, is like a, a, a oh, yeah. drink of, of, of just ice cold water when you're thirsty. It's just this, it's, uh, you know, it's a good cup of coffee and you're like, oh my gosh, let's sit down and talk for hours. You're, you're. You're from you're from North Carolina. Great, let's have a you know <laughs> conversation. I don't I don't even care. And so it's a funny thing because all of these characters are longing for home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The whole book. I mean, mm -hmm. Aragorn to you know to move on. Boromir wants to go back to Gondor. Mm -hmm. You know, Gimli wants to go to the, the place lines. where they belong. The where, where they, they from? Belong. Their identity. Yeah. And they just know that they have to go through this journey and mm. defeat these powers in order to go home. Mm -hmm. you know? Except for Boromir, who tries to escape and. You know, yeah. What happens? Oh, Boromir. And it's interesting too that even, and I think, I think to a certain extent, Tolkien Mitt like kind of talks talks about this, and and but I don't want to spoil too much. But the, some of the characters when they return, even the rest of the world is not enough for them anymore. They they're still called to, to more things, to things that are higher than, than even what they've seen. And, uh, and I think that's kind of him bringing back in the eternal call a little bit there. Mm. Just the, the, the longing for something, you know, to not, to not hurt. Mm -hmm. um, I just uh, pulled up a quote from that I, it's the only one I wrote because I'm usually driving when I'm listening to this stuff, but um, that's when he was talking about Saruman, I believe. Gandalf was talking about Saruman? Mm -hmm. I believe. He says, Hobbits as miserable slaves would please him far more than Hobbits happy and free. Oh, Sauron. He's Sauron. talking about Sauron. Okay. Yeah. Um, oh, that's right, because he's not quite 
figured out Saruman, but right. Um, and I was just that's your of course your other archetype of yeah. ruler, dominion overall. That's better they yeah. be slaves and control. Yeah. It's interesting with I lost watched a video the other day about the difference between Morgoth and Sauron and Morgoth who's like the the devil for lack of uh, time. Um is just an agent of chaos, whereas uh, Sauron is a distorted lover of extreme order, and he believes he can make that order better than others. Mm. And so his so like Classic. that that comes out in that a lot. Like mm. you know, I having having hobbits as my unhappy slaves is better order than having them free and and happy. Yes, yeah. like uh, what's his name shift. from uh, Shift and. Um, not ran- ransoms the sucky. Oh, Weston. Weston, mm-hmm. oh, the sucky one. Yes, yeah. Weston. Yes, it's the language of villains. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, classic, classic language of villains. But yeah, that, that was that was some powerful stuff as well. No, my rides here. Right okay. Awesome. This is nice sitting outside today. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Hope your that back feels better. Right? Thank you. Well, what do we want to aim for for next time? For, I was going to say, do we have a for, stopping point we that we can kind of shoot for? Yeah. that helps me. It does help me, too. It helps me, like, get there. <clears throat> I know, we were trying to break it up into thirds, Are we trying to do we? thirds or fourths? Well, I don't think any less than that. We definitely <laughs> didn't get past 25%. Um, uh, I say we, I mean, I think a month for each one doesn't sound like too much. We go, go quarters? Quarter it up? I like that. I'm fine with that. 5, 10, 15, 20. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if only. So, now, five, so try to get halfway five, through then ten, next time. Right? It's broken up into two books each book. So ten chapters per, so twenty chapters. Per. So what what plot chapters. point does that put us at for finishing? So there's forty time. chapters. Book, book two's over with, right? Or book so one. Ten chapters each week. We got about half, not quite halfway through book one tonight. No, that would be five chapters per week. Okay. Okay. There's, oh, there's <laughs> five chapters a week. So try to finish up book one for next week. Okay. Seems reasonable. Okay. Yeah, I say if we spend four weeks on each book. I can listen nice. to that. Okay. Probably get through. No. The story picks up during those chapters. Maybe our discussion will pick up too. <laughs> All right, so that's gonna let's do it for tonight. Um, I hope you guys uh, enjoyed it, and we'll see you guys Monday at seven back here again. Um, and yeah, we'll have two more people. Cody and Kennedy are here for the oh, rest have some of more the. People. Uh-huh. They'll oh, be here for yeah. the rest of the time. All right. Awesome. This will be, be a good time next week. Further up. Further in. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.